Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we have the great privilege of hearing Dr. Michael Haken give us the main summary of the event that changed Christianity for the better, the Reformation. The Reformation is, it's not simply a story really about um, simply theologians talking to each other. It really is, is the, the attempt of leading church figures to see the gospel impact the lives of men and women in everyday life. And uh, to a remarkable extent, they did. Hey, my name is Isaac. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, we made it into April. So to everyone who is in college or university or seminary, you know, this is the time, you know, papers, exams, stuff like that. Uh, you got this. But anyways, if you're tuning in to In Doubt for the first time, uh, we are a weekly audio show that exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults and others face every single day. So we, we try our best to fulfill this mission by hosting these weekly conversations uh, that dig into some of life's tough or just everyday issues, right? So it's not unusual for us to discuss things like, you know, sexual identity, uh, relationships, dating, alcohol, marijuana, worldviews. You know, we've partnered with Apologetics Canada a lot to do stuff like that. Faith, church, discipleship, so on and so forth. So what's coming up? This week and next week, we're talking with Dr. Michael Haken from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This guy is a wizard when it comes to church history. If you've been a listener for a while, you'll know that we actually had him on for two weeks or earlier this year to talk about the patristic era and also the medieval period. And he was just giving an overview of our family, the church, right? So for the next two weeks, he's going to be kind of continuing on that. So this week, uh, he's talking about the Reformation, which is great because if you didn't know, uh, this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Back in 1517, that's when people think that that's when the Reformation began. Anyways, now you may think this event doesn't apply to our everyday lives today, but it does. And after the conversation with Dr. Haken, I'm going to briefly explain a bit and how it does. Uh, the week after, you know, Dr. Haken will come on again, and he's going to give us a sort of a summary of church history from the Reformation up to this present period, so pretty much the last two to three uh, centuries. Also coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be chatting with John Nathan from the Gideons. He's going to be talking to us about evangelism. We're going to be talking with an expert on Islamic studies. Um, we're going to be talking with a representative from the International Justice Mission on human trafficking and social justice and more. But anyways, let's get into this week's conversation on the Reformation. Well, it's our third of four going through a series through church history, and it's it's not as if all church history can be explained in simply four 20 to 25 minute sessions, <laughs> but here with me to do his best, and he's been doing a great job at it, is uh, Dr. Michael Hake, and he's a professor of church history and biblical spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Thanks for being here with us. Great to be with you again. Um, as I said, th this is our third episode in our series, and, and since it's history, I mean, it's obvious things build, they morph, they change on top of one another, so it's important that we know what happens in the past. So I say that to encourage you, if you're, you know, if this is the first of the four you're listening to, uh, to pause this, <laughs> go back to the first in the series, and, and start from there, and then come to where we are now. Anyways, uh, we're going to learn uh, from Michael uh, today uh, about the Reformation, so about the reforming and the reviving of the church. So tell us about this Time. Yeah, this is a time in which, uh, after a long a period, and really that period probably stretches from around 800 to 1400, 700 to 1400, 
uh, in which the Church really is struggling. Mm. Uh, there is uh, the rise of biblical literacy, massive superstition, corruption of power in the life of the Church. Um, there is this growing rediscovery of the Gospel. Uh, by, and then the, word, the reason I use the word growing is that <clears throat> when the Reformers come in the Middle Ages, in yeah. the uh, 1500s, uh, it, it, it's not as if they didn't have predecessors. Right. And at the end of the uh, time together, we looked at uh, some of the names of these predecessors, men like Pierre Valdez, but particularly John Wycliffe and Jan Hus in the 13 and 1400s. Yes. And so there had been this growing dissatisfaction with the state of things in the life of the Church at the time, uh, uh, the late medieval period. And then at the Reformation, all of this came together right. in this huge a blaze of light, as it were, that erupts into Europe. And uh, again, evangelical historians have debated in the last probably 25, 30 years about the importance of the Reformation. Um, and uh, it, it brings a schism in the Church, one that is still with us, between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. Right. And there are some evangelicals, r- from right motives, the desire for unity, who've argued that this is a sad thing. Hmm. Um, from my point of view, uh, I think uh, there is a sadness involved, um, because there is a division of the Church, but right. there is much to rejoice about, because the Gospel, which to some extent had been hid, um, is rediscovered. Right. Uh, there's a fabulous uh, painting uh, called The Candlestick, um, it's more of a drawing a sketch than a painting, okay. uh, which is in the uh, Rijksmuseum in, in, in uh, Amsterdam, which depicts a variety of the reformers um, in a room on which, around a table on which there is one single item, which mm-hmm. is a candle in a candlestick. Wow. And light, candle is lit. And the message is plain, that after a long period of darkness, yeah. spiritual darkness, the light of the gospel once again shone in Europe. Wow. And um, in Geneva, for example, there is a wall called the Reformation Wall that depicts a variety of reformers in larger-than-life statues. Hmm. Uh, The central figures being John Calvin, the great reformer at Geneva, uh, Theodore Beza, um, Guillaume Farel, um, and Pierre Verret. Um, And um, on one side of these four central figures are the words post-tenebris, and then on the other side just simply the word lux, uh, after darkness light. Yes. And um, these, these two scenes, I think, well capture the impact of the Reformation. Mm. Uh, the Reformation uh, rediscovers uh, through the teaching of men like Martin Luther, who is converted around 1514, and then John Calvin converted around 1529 to 1531. Um, the, the Reformation rediscovers how is a uh, not faith in the saints, who were a dominant part of the medieval pe- world, not faith in Mary, right. uh, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death for sinners. Okay. Um, it's also a period that rediscovers biblical literacy. There has been a growing um, rise of literacy in Europe through what we call the Renaissance, uh, which begins in northern Italy in the 1300s. Hmm. Um, and so by the time that you get to Luther's Day, the significant numbers of people, significant compared to the medieval period, can read. Right. Um, it might be 20, 20%, maybe 25%. Right. And then we also have the invention of what we call the printing press, 
um, by Johann Gutenberg in the middle of the 1400s, which enables books to be produced rapidly, more accurately than ever, and cheaply. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the printing press, in some respects, the Reformation is a child of the printing press. Wow. And uh, Luther has this very curious little uh, reference where he says uh, that um, in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 14, there is an angel that goes around the world preaching the gospel. And he argues, uh, I'm not sure whether it's tongue-in-cheek, but that that, that, that angel is none, none other than the printing press. And uh, that little kind of story that uh, no, no, no other, none of the other reformers buy the argument about no. the interpretation of that verse. But having said that, I think that gives you some idea of how important the printing press was for for these early men. Um, uh, they, as they begin to preach and teach, they can disseminate their ideas rapidly, quickly throughout Europe, mm-hmm. uh, which um, was filled with printing printing shops. Right. Uh, the wake of Johann Gutenberg's invention, the, the, in the wake of the Johann Gutenberg's invention in the mid 1400s, there is the rise of these significant numbers of print shops. Right. Okay. And uh, printing becomes a fabulous way of making money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the the reasons for printing the scriptures by various printers throughout Europe are not always the purest. Okay. But in the providence of God, God uses this, and the gospel begins to go forth in, in Europe. Yeah. And in some places, remarkably so. Like in, in, in France, uh, in the mid-1520s, uh, Luther, the Reformation is often thought to begin in 1517, so... Um, 500 years ago, um, when Luther nails the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, a protest against the doctrines of uh, purgatory and uh, the use of what were known as indulgences to Mm. buy your way out of purgatory. Mm. Um, When Luther does that, uh, the gospel, as I said, begins to have free course in Europe uh, in a way that it's never had before, often through the means of the printing press. And in France, by the 1520s, there were probably a few thousand believers, okay. maybe three, four thousand, out of a population of 20 million. Wow. Um, Forty years later, there are two million believers. It's, it's just an amazing revival. Yeah. And when we think, when you look at the constituency of those men and women who embrace the gospel in France, um, it's around 50% of the middle class and 50% of the ruling class, the upper class. Uh, this is not a democratic world, um, unlike our world. And the, the movers and shakers in that world, large numbers embraced the gospel, partly because these were the people who could read and write. Right. And they, they, had, they, and they had the money to buy books. By the end of the 1500s, uh, significant sec- sections of Europe have embraced, nationally speaking, the gospel and the Reformation. Um, England, Wales, uh, Scotland, Holland... Uh, the, all of the Scandinavian countries, yeah. uh, large areas of Germany. Germany was not a united nation until the 19th century, hmm. and so various states remained Catholic, but many became Protestant. Okay. Large parts of Switzerland, Hungary, uh, and then there were, uh, in France, significant areas of France. Uh, in France, there is the attempt by the sword to roll back the Reformation, which hmm. will become a pattern in the 17th century.
Hey guys, our conversation with uh, Dr. Haken isn't finished yet, but I want to take a quick pause just for a moment to tell you about a series Back to the Bible Canada put together called The Solas of the Reformation, because it kind of fits in with what we're talking about. Anyways, a mere 20-minute conversation with Dr. Haken can only go so far, right? Because one of the areas we didn't really get the chance to dig into too much is the more theological implication of the Reformation. You see, coming out of the Reformation were these five solas, or five onlys, or five alones, you could say. So, out of the Reformation, we as Christians believe in Scripture alone as our basis of truth. We believe that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by His grace alone, all for the glory of God alone. Anyways, Dr. John Newfeld has recorded five messages that go through each of these solas and they can be accessed on backtothebible.ca. So just go there, click the ministries button on the top menu, click back to the Bible Canada and scroll down to find the subheading series and there you're going to find solas of the Reformation. Anyways, let's continue hearing from Dr. Michael Haken on the Reformation. The Reformation is also a rediscovery, though, of other things. It's a rediscovery of the, of the goodness of marriage. Hmm. Uh, during the medieval period, it was believed that spirituality was tied to celibacy. Okay. And uh, if you were truly spiritual, you were celibate. Hmm. Uh, the Reformation goes back to Scripture and, and rediscovers in Scripture that marriage is the, the life that most of us are called to, um, not all, obviously, but yeah. many are called to. They, you, many Christians are called to live out their Christian lives in the context of the married life. Right. And marriage is a good gift yeah. from God, not second second class, which the medieval church had argued. In the medieval church, if you really wanted to be serious about following Jesus, you you joined a, a nunnery or a monastery. Right. One of the turning points in Western history is when Martin Luther in 1525 marries. Um, Catalina von Bora, right. a former nun. He yeah. was a former monk, and he marries a former nun. Yeah. Uh, when he was asked as to why he was getting married, he had two very interesting reasons. One was uh, to give his father grandchildren, which <laughs> okay. is not unbiblical. Yeah. Uh, the other reason is definitely got has got no place in the scriptures, uh, which is that uh, he wanted to do it to spite the Pope. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But they had a fabulous marriage. And uh, becomes a a kind of pattern. This 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 area of of servants of God, uh, ministers, pastors being married, uh, and marriage becomes uh, is rediscovered really wow. as a vehicle for gospel living. Uh, one of the great areas of the impact of the Reformation is in England, and uh, there it can be seen very powerfully in the people we know as the Puritans. Mm-hmm. Um, who emerge in the 1560s and really are a dominant group in in the English-speaking world up until around 1700. Mm-hmm. And during the course of the 17th century, they produced some of the finest theologians, men like John, John Owen, John Bunyan, um, who are still read widely today, especially Bunyan, his Pilgrim's Progress is the oh, second sure. best-selling Christian book after the Bible. Wow. And... Um, we tend to think of the name Puritan as narrow-minded, bigoted, straight-laced. Yeah. But uh, the reality is that these men and women were, were, were solid theologically, desired to live uh, passionately for Christ. Mm-hmm. They were very interested in the work of the Holy Spirit, Yeah, uh, the work of the Spirit in conversion, the work of the Spirit in illuminating Scripture, mm-hmm. the work of the Spirit in prayer, and uh, really 
longed for what would only happen in the next century, uh, which is uh, national awakening. Right. Um, despite the fact that, say, Britain, England had embraced the Reformation, I really should, you really should say England, right. uh, the union of the various parts of England had not yet taken place. Uh, despite the fact that England had embraced the, the, the Reformation as a national uh, church, so the Church of England was a Reformed church, technically, there were still large areas of nominalism. Right. So Richard Greenham, one of the early Puritans in the 1570s, goes to a little village called Dry Drayton, north of Cambridge. Okay. Uh, none of the women in the village, there's probably about, you know, two, 200 families. Okay. None of the women in the village can read. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Puritanism was very much a, a movement, a word-centered movement. Hmm. Uh, they, they promoted a spirituality of the word. And so this is a real challenge. And so not surprisingly, there are significant areas of superstition, illiteracy that still have to be overcome. Yeah. And the Puritans were zealous for producing biblical faith, biblical religion, wow. uh, a spirituality that was rooted and grounded in the Word. Wow, that's good. I'm currently reading uh, J.I. Packer's The Quest for Godliness, which is uh, mm-hmm. looking into sort of the Puritan way of sort of Christian life. And he, and he begins to dig into uh, some of what Puritans went through and and even the uh, almost the kind of impoverished life they sort of lived uh, as well. They weren't these wealthy, I mean, maybe some were, but uh, a lot of them, they kind of had to really push through some tough times. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, that, that's uh, Packer's book is really an excellent, it's a collection of essays. It's not a originally designed as a one volume right. a study of Puritanism. Uh, there was a history of the church in the late 1950s, early 60s, uh, which Packer was supposed to write the volume on the 17th century, okay. uh, which was never written, and this was kind of his later answer to it. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not a. It's, it's it's a great collection of essays. Yes. Um, in which he kind of delineates the central themes of Puritanism. Yeah. And some of its key figures, people like John Owen. Yes. Yeah. Um, by the late 1600s, though, uh, 1690s, Puritanism is running out of steam. Um, mm. All church revitalization movements church renewals, revivals eventually ran out of steam uh, because we live in a fallen world. And uh, these movements employ, as it were, their, their tools of men and women, and men and women are there, you know, we're just not con- as consistent as we would like to be. And uh, so eventually they run out of steam. And so the great cry at the end of the 17th century is really the need for revival. We have, There's a number of uh, Puritan figures like John Owen, John Howe, um, who died in 1705, longing to see revival. Right. Okay. And uh, that revival, that renewal, that massive awakening would come at the beginning of the 18th century and really kind of sets the stage for our final talk, uh, which will deal with Christianity in the modern period. That's awesome. And yeah, thanks so much, Michael. That was great. And um, I, I can't help, and I'm sure you've got this a lot, but it seems like there are an incredible amount of Johns 
in uh, this time that were amazing uh, in regards to uh, sort of bringing in this uh, this Reformation. You got John Calvin, you got John Owen, you got all these Johns everywhere. So I don't know if it's a blessed name or something like that, but <laughs> anyways. <laughs> yeah, you do. I mean, uh, you you just have a remarkable uh, galaxy, as it were, of, of theologians and Christians. Not simply all theologians. I mean, you have women like Lady Jane Grey, who was uh, put to death at the age of 16 uh, mm-hmm. for her faith. Yes. And uh, just a remarkable witness to gospel truth. And the Reformation is n- it's not simply a story, really. Uh, and then Puritanism, it's not simply a story. These, these are not two stories about um, simply theologians talking to each other. Right. Um, it, it really is, is the, the attempt of leading church figures to see the gospel impact the lives of men and women in everyday life. Yeah. And uh, to a remarkable extent, uh, they did. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Michael. I'm eager to hear from you uh, next week as we finish our series. uh, And we're going to be talking about the globalization of the church, which kind of starts from the beginning of the, uh, I guess, the 19th century, um, all the way pretty much to this present day. So I look forward to that, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you. That was Dr. Michael Haken from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a professor of church history, as you can see, and also a professor of biblical spirituality. He's also an author, and he uh, got to write the foreword, or he didn't get to, he wrote the foreword uh, to a, a book written by John Piper about Andrew Fuller, who was a Baptist missionary. And he's also written a book called Eight Women of Faith, which I kind of wanted to highlight really quick. He just sort of uh, talks about these, you know, eight you know different women through church history that were really powerful when it comes to the gospel and to pretty much the church. So anyways, if you're a woman out there and you want to be encouraged in your walk of faith, then I'd encourage this book. You can find it. It's called Eight Women of Faith by Dr. Michael Haken. Anyways, if you enjoyed today's conversation, head to indout.ca if you live in Canada or indout.com if you live in the States to access the first two sessions that Dr. Haken did with us earlier this year, which was on the patristic era and also the Middle Ages. And then next week will be our last conversation with him on this complete series of church history, just a general overview of church history. So the question remains, though, how does the Reformation impact us today? Well, at the beginning of the conversation with Dr. Haken, he mentioned that phrase that's on the wall in Geneva, which is translated as, after darkness, light. And he also talked about that painting that's done with, you know, different reformers sitting around a table with one single candle lighting it right in the middle. The point of it all is that the medieval church really did actually hide the beauty and brightness of the gospel, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. The Reformation is so highly regarded and praised by us today because it's the event in history when a few people like Martin Luther, John Calvin to name some of the most popular names, host of others though, whose names we don't even know, they lived their lives, you know, some unto death to light the gospel wick that had been put out for so, so long. So really, the Reformation is all about the gospel. So without this event happening 500 years ago, our understanding of the gospel today probably wouldn't be fruitful or even right uh, to this point today. 
I think one of the biggest applications that we can actually go away with after hearing about the Reformation and just thinking about it is to live lives that are completely unrelenting when it comes to the truth of the gospel and the life, the living out of the gospel. You know, Jesus in Matthew 5.14, this is a very popular uh, verse, but he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So the Reformation helped us, the church, see the light of the gospel. And that light should, and I hope it has, and I'll pray that it does for you, hope it lights your own heart to see the beauty and glory of Christ. And then that light, now reflecting God's glory, is now in us. So now when we go and we spread this light all around, you know, thanks to those men and women in the Reformation that relit the gospel, we can now know what the gospel is to go and shine the light of the gospel in our lives. And I think for a lot of us, like, and I know this personally for me, it's so easy to, you know, later on in that uh, verse in Matthew uh, 5, Jesus says, you know, uh, what good is a lamp if you, you know, hide it under a basket, but its purpose is to be put on a stand so that, you know, everyone around can see it. And I think for us so often, and for me personally too, we sort of hide that that light. And I think, you know, if you, everyone knows that if you sort of put like a, um, a little, you know, a shovel sort of thing over top of a, a candle without the oxygen, it's just going to go out. And I think for us, a lot of times that happens when, but we really need to allow that light to really shine, shine forth. And what the Reformation really does is allow us to know uh, the gospel so well. So the gospel uh, sort of is the fuel for us to keep the light sort of shining. And, you know, shining, lights, candles, is kind of cheesy language, but I think we all kind of get the picture. And one other thing, really quick, the Reformation came out of, uh, you could say, a discontent, you know, uh, with the way the medieval church was doing things. So, you know, like indulgences and things like that. So people were actually paying money in order to, like, get their, you know, maybe relative souls out of purgatory and things like that. So it was pretty corrupt. Now... Not because it was uncomfortable, but because it was not biblical, right? So Martin Luther wasn't against the medieval church because it was uncomfortable, because it wasn't biblical. That's why. So the Reformation really encourages us to not be afraid to speak up if and when we see the church, you know, acting in ways that aren't in line with scripture. So never in arrogance or proud attitude, but in gentleness, yet firm. So I'd encourage you, if you see the church acting in ways that are not biblical, then you can speak up. Uh, anyways, that wraps up this week's In Doubt Show. To connect with us throughout the week, you know, please do. We'd love that. You can head to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And to be honest, you know, Facebook, that's a great place for you to connect with us because you can message us on there. So we'd love to connect with you through there. We post all of the shows on Facebook. We also post weekly articles that sort of dig into uh, the topics that we're discussing on the podcast. We pretty much discuss through articles as well. And we also on Facebook talk about the different projects that we're doing. So, you know, earlier on, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we put out a Bible study series called Jude for the Faith, which was a five-session series going through the book of Jude. And it was really all about contending for the faith. Also, you can also email us at info at indoubt.ca. And that's a place for you really to share stories of impact, but also to suggest topics that maybe you want to hear from. You know, we had someone email us a little while ago, and uh, they were somewhat a young adult that grew up in a certain faith that was not Christian, but they became a Christian, and now they want to know, they want to hear us talk about how 
they can now relate to their parents who are from a different faith. So it's a very you know specific topic. But anyways, we provided a platform really for her to ask that question. So we want to be able to talk about things like that. But also, if you have a guest that you really want to hear from, then that's another place for you to do that. So info, I-N-F-O, at indoubt. Uh, dot ca is a place for you to do that. And also, if you're interested in donating to Endowed, you know, we're not a for-profit ministry. You know, we don't sell things in order to make this stuff happen. We actually rely on people that invest in the mission to bring a biblical perspective to the areas of life and faith uh, that face young adults every day. So if you're interested in donating, even if it's like $5 or $10 or whatever, if you want to do that, just head to indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the States and click the donate button at the top. And really, it's really quite simple. You can just do that there. So anyways, I'm Isaac. And next week we hear Dr. Michael Haken on the globalization of the church and the world in the last two centuries. Indoubt Ministries is the young adult ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, part of the Good News Broadcasting Association of Canada. For more information, head to backtothebible.ca.